So we have a player in Ivan Tony who's found guilty of breaking FA betting rules. And every time the Brentford striker has pulled on his club colours this season, he's been advertising Hollywood bets as the club's front of shirt sponsor. Coincidence or not? Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show in a week where Manchester City have a treble in their sights. The FA give Ivan Tony an eight-month ban and there's a lot of speculation surrounding Arsenal. But who do they need to bring in next season if they want to take that extra step? My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by David Bugle and Neil Dobbs from TheBigKickoff.com. And Dave, Ivan Tony has an eight-month ban for breaking FA betting rules. We haven't been told the exact reasons for the charges, but what's your thoughts generally just starting on it? Yeah, uh, well, uh, this isn't my thought, but it was very funny. Some of the Tin Hat Brigade and the conspiracy theories going, oh, it's convenient when uh, they're playing Man City this weekend. They're handing them the title, like, which is nonsense. <laughs> it is what it is. Look, the exact thing he did, we're unsure. There's over 200 and odd charges, and it could be in relation to feeding information, uh, in-game betting. Was he taken off and then decided to get his phone out? Who knows? You could speculate if you look at the three or four um, route A, A, B, C, D, or whatever. So it's hard to gauge. But, you know, uh, on my side of it and my take of it is the irony of it all. There's a crowd called The Big Step, which is a campaign group dedicated to remove gambling adverts from football, which ironically will happen in 2026. And they scented the hypocrisy and they put up a picture today well four pictures of tony woman obviously with uh hollywood bets two of them with player the month award sponsored by guess what sky bet who ironically have a deal with the football league where um the 72 clubs outside the premier league are affiliates to sky bet seen as the sponsorship and as an affiliate they're a middleman who encourages a gambler to bet with a particular company who then pays them a percentage of the money that the person goes on to lose and sometimes for the rest of their life so can you see where we're going here, where some of this is a little bit ironic and it surrounds you? Um, and then obviously, uh, sorry, go on. I thought you were going to there. Yeah, it was, because I was going to say, and the, the owner of Brentford has made his yeah. money from uh, Benham. Yeah. yeah, so Matthew Benham, uh, he develops statistic models Yes. Uh, to make sport bets and owns the gambling stats firm, Smart Odds and Betting Exchange Matchbook. So as the owner, he may now have to use his gambling riches to fund for a stand-in for Tony. You've got the Coates family who are part of the Bet365 empire who owns Stoke. Uh, obviously, Brighton chairman is Tony Bloom, who's built it on the back of gambling issues. And then another one, and this is the last piece of the puzzle, which I find ironic. Back in 2019, they came up with a rule called the voluntary whistle-to-whistle ban, agreed by bookies who promised not to advertise during matches before nine o'clock. And in 2019, there was a measure for, remember, John away every now and then we have A15 kickoffs? Hmm. Yeah, well, that started in 2019. So that come bang on nine o'clock, Goodell, Ray Winston and the rest of them can come out again and say bet now with 365 and what have you. So um, they come up with a nice rule to kind of curb it. But then the the football themselves decided to come up with quarter past eight kickoffs. Ironic, uh, I should think. And then sure, all we have to do is look at the copious amount of betting um, companies. I think it's 70 or 80 times we might see it in the scale, of, uh, in, the, in, the, in the basis of something like 90 minutes. It's mental. And then then there's the other alleged rumour, which is my tin hat on. Are some of these companies even feckin' real that are on short jerseys? That's another article you can Google, but we'll stay out of that for now. Right, yeah. yeah. Neil, it's, uh, it's eight months is a long time. I think it's four months 
he's not allowed to train, do anything with the club. I think he's allowed in September come back and just train uh, to get re- get himself ready for January. Uh, first of all, it's going to be it's a little bit of a dilemma, isn't it, for Brentford because he's after doing them wrong, and yet do they have to pay him seventy grand a week? It doesn't it doesn't make sense there. They could easily look to pull pull away from that. If they don't and they go on to January, he could easily leave because the window is open and his his value will be going down the closer his contract is running out. So my question is, Neil, if you're at Brentford, what what would you do? Um, if I'm Brentford and it's Ivan Tony, he's still your most valuable asset. I think you need a protector asset. You need to offer him a contract. Um, and I would imagine now would be a good a time as any to negotiate a contract with Ivan Tony because he's damaged goods. So anywhere that he would have moved or would have thought that he could move to. And say, for example, Chelsea be a great example of that where they need that type of powerful forward that can bring other players into play. Um, and he he would I'm not necessarily there they would have gone for Tony maybe it wasn't expensive enough for them but it would be an option and it would rule him out of a, a similar move like that so I think it puts Brentford number one in a poor position insofar as they they're losing their most valuable asset for a period of the season and let's be honest a team like Brentford could all of a sudden the tables could turn this time next year and the far side of Christmas they could be fighting a relegation battle you just don't know in this world but um, from their perspective as in being selfish I think and by the way Ivan Tony should be trying to pay them back a little bit here that they are going to stand by their man that they are going to you know he's he's brought i'd say shame on the club but he's brought the club into a, a situation where they they definitely don't want to be it's negative publicity so they should be looking to get a, a contract signed they should be in the driving seat insofar as the terms and conditions of the contract and then it's a kind of a middle ground of what they pay him or how much they pay him and you know, trying to get between now and Christmas in order to sort that out. But they need to think of themselves first and foremost, and I think they need to protect their investment. Dave, he doesn't want to sign the contract. What happens there? Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, when I was having a bit of a think of it earlier, because no, we were coming on the show. Like at the end of the day, his career won't be dead, but the trajectory could be a little bit different. That's for sure, because obviously it's going to be on a press pause. And just to quickly go back for a second, the fact that it's eight months, considering some of the historical ones that I'm sure Neil will allude to, this is more severe than others. So who knows what they are a little bit for the, for the repercussions. There must be a little bit more meat in it than, than we think. But um, yeah, like obviously he's going to probably be in the second half. I'd be surprised if he goes straight away in January. Um, I, I presume he can't be bought this summer. I don't would know. Would you be surprised? That, no, he can't be bought. But yeah. would you be surprised if he did go because... He probably would have been touted for a move this summer, anyhow. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd be well. He definitely would have been wanted. That's for sure. There's definitely a couple above that could easily have a look at him. You know, would Arsenal want to back up? Would Newcastle maybe look at a fresher Callum Wilson because he always picks up the injuries? You never know. You know, Liverpool are a bit strange with what they do on forwards as much. They, but you look ahead of the, the teams above, they'd easily have a little bite. And there's not, and obviously Man United, for example, because obviously they're going to be looking for some strikers, and he could be a a second or third choice if Harry Kane doesn't evolve or whatever we were looking at. So will they still be around in, in, in January? Absolutely, because they'll definitely smell blood that they can get him for cheaper. Um, because he is only, what, has he just gone 27, I think? So he's still young enough and still pretty much in the prime and, and about to come into the peak of his powers. But does he owe Brentford at least the second half of next season potentially? Because who knows what position they could be in? Because as much as he scores goals, he, he creates them just as much too. He's a, he's a yeah, very um, all-round player. So... um. It, it could be a, a moral dilemma for him as well. Do I do I at least finish on a bit of a high and give him a half decent second half of the season, depending on where they are? Yeah, Neil. If 
if it was a gambling problem that he had, this would be, in my opinion, a stupid ban to be given someone if they have a, a gambling problem to isolate them at home. Four months of sitting at home, not being able to do anything. Another four months of you know being able to train, but still having the majority of your day to yourself. So that makes me think, if that if that's the case, then the people in the FA are morons. But that's being a little bit harsh because we don't know. And it kind of indicates that it must be then that he must have given information to others. What do you think? Yeah, it, it seemed, and I put it this right, I was just thinking while you were talking there, even the timing of this, the fact that they've waited to the end of the season, they've known about this for quite a while. If you're Brentford and you were given an option to pull this in, maybe when they were safe around March, February, they would have been going, yeah, ban them now and let's get them back for September. So there's mm. obviously a little bit more to it that they feel they need to lay down a marker here. And that's what I feel is that they want to kind of, you know, basically say to others, this is your warning. It's not a massive length ban insofar as it's not years, but he obviously wasn't able to get out ahead of the press in a PR regard and kind of go, listen, you know, I've fallen on hard times here. I've mental issues, I've gambling issues, et cetera, et cetera. You know, the way they would have rolled it out in the States, they would have had a, an Oprah session or something like that to bring him out. So obviously they couldn't get the PR machine out before that, which again begs the question of how serious are the allegations. And I was thinking about this today. Is it a question that he's just gambling on football or is it a question that there's something a little bit more cynical going on here, i.e. giving insider information, betting against his own team, lineups, you know, that type of thing, which if it is that kind of more cynical side, I guess you have to kind of throw the, the book at people like this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's how it's going to come out. I can't see mm. it being the other way yeah. because if they start giving bans for people who are struggling with their mental health, which it is, then they're not sending out the right signals. Um, so they wouldn't be morons, is what I'm saying. So I better, better take that back that they're not they're morons because <laughs> they're not morons. I'm just saying if it was in case. Um, I have a, an article here that hasn't in front of me. It says 14 of the longest bands in English football history. Uh, number 14, of course, is uh, Paolo De Canio. We all know that one <laughs> pushing <laughs> over the, uh, the referee. He, how many games did he get for that? Do you remember? Six. Oh. Eight. Eleven. Six. 11 well. games, yeah. You got a hefty 11 games. Uh, number, I'm not going to go through them all, but I'm just doing this one because I thought this one was interesting. Charlie Mitten, this was back in 1950s, Manchester United player. And while on their tour of Colombia, uh, Colombian side Independiente Santa Fe offered Charlie Mitten a contract uh, on a lot more money than he was on with the English side. So he stayed there for a year while still registered to Manchester United. Uh, so. Wow. Of course, Manchester United were part of FIFA. Colombia weren't, so there was nothing they could do. But when his return back to Manchester United, uh, and his return was only because Colombia did sign up to FIFA, uh, he was banned for six months. So that was wow. him gone back then. Uh, there's a whole lot of really, really good ones. Bosnich, Ferdinand, obviously the Cantonas. Uh, but I'm going to go up to the top three because there's a couple, <laughs> of, a couple of interesting ones here. Uh, well, I'm actually going to go to Enoch West, who's at number two. Enoch West in 1915 and three Manchester United players, four Liverpool players were banned for life for match fixing. The other seven players had their bans lifted while they were enlisted into the army for World War One. But, <laughs> but West was the only exception as he refused to list. 
He's his ban was over thirty years later, nineteen forty-five, when he turned fifty-nine. So wow. he got a thirty-year ban. And he's only second. Go back playing, did he? And he's he's only second. He got a thirty-year ban. I, this is a hell of a name, Olafur Gottskalsen. Right in January two thousand and five. Doping testers arrive at Torquay United's ground for routine tests on players. Goalkeeper Golovskoskin <laughs> was chosen to give a sample, but disappeared shortly. Known as cocaine addiction would show up in the results. Torquay United issued a statement saying the 10-time Icelandic international had gone missing. He later revealed he had gone to Amsterdam. He said, it's a real shame. I saw nothing else in the situation, but let myself go. I went to the Netherlands, just took the next plane to Amsterdam and was there for a week, 10 days in total oblivion. I was, adver- I was advertised as missing in the papers, but didn't realise what was going on. You, sometimes you just listen to your own bullshit. In 2005, the FA announced that the Independent Disciplinary Commission had banned him from football indefinitely for failing to take a drugs test. Now wow. 55, he hasn't played football since. <laughs> what would harsh. you get for failing a drug test? Would you get a life ban for failing a drug test? Well, Rio Ferdinand didn't. He there just missed it though, didn't he? He skipped it. Yeah, well, this or... guy did a legger, but I mean, still. No, did, did he not leg it? Yeah, Rio missed it. Rio yeah. legged it from the training ground. Yeah, or did he not Rio leg it from the training ground? Yeah, he, he refused yeah. to do it, or he did it a couple of days oh, later. Hold on, well, hold on, I know you have that here in front of me, so we can't be speculating, can we? Hold on, where are you, Rio? Here's Rio there. Rio Ferdinand was banned for eight months after he missed a drug test, meaning he missed 2004. The independent tribunal found him guilty. There oh, he go. purposely didn't turn up to it. There's yeah. no difference from running and not turning up for a shorty. Yeah. Anyhow, there you go. Versus eight months. Oh, See, sorry, United England International. Ah, yes, there, there we go. There we go. Uh, but it shows you that there's, and you have plenty more there, don't you, that were crazy uh, bands that, uh, who, who did you have, Dave? So the most recent was Kieran Trippier. So he fed the information to his brother that he was going to move to Atletico Madrid. And he, I, what did he put up? I think it was over grand and they had deleted WhatsApp messages and they tried to clean it up. But in the long and short of it, then he got a 70 grand fine and 10 weeks ban from all football related activity. Um, so yeah. So for one instance, that's what he got. So 10 weeks and 70 grand. Then there was one or two others. Uh, same with Daniel Sturridge. He fed information to his brother as well that he was on his move to Sevilla. That never happened. So his brother obviously lost a grant. Or did he go to Sevilla? I can't remember, did he? But anyway, he fed him information. He got caught and he was bought, he was uh, banned for four months and 150 grand. That's and then lot. Joey Barton, yeah. my last one, did... Oh, yes, Joey. 1,260 bets that were placed over a period of 10 years, including 15 bets that were placed on his own team to lose, which was considered by the commission to be an aggravating factor. And yeah. he got, uh, oh, it was reduced to five months, but it was originally 18 months and a fine of 30 grand. And That's then he right. got reduced to five months, but there was no char- There was no change to the sum of the fine. Okay, Manchester City, Neil, an unbelievable win against Real Madrid last night. Really stomped them, didn't they? They never gave them a second. It was class over older class. The, the, yeah. Madrid showed their years didn't they they did you know it is Roy two weeks ago I, I, I came out and I said I think Madrid, uh, City are going to absolutely wallop them and then I got cold feet last week when I watched them <laughs> um, and I watched them over in Spain and I thought I don't know because I just felt Ancelotti got the subs right and he kind of injected a little bit more youth into the side for the last 20 minutes but uh, true to form I mean 
you know, if you look back last year, maybe, and this is why I, I was thinking about it, I think Chelsea, Paris Saint-Germain and then City all had Madrid within their within their crosshairs. And just for whatever reason, they took their foot off their neck. Whereas last night, uh, City just didn't. They literally just absolutely pile drive them into the ground. There was only going to be one winner. And in the end, it was really strange. I don't know what commentary. I was listening on BT for commentary. And Steve McManaman must have said several times, wow, Madrid are just a mess at the moment. They're mm. so, so bad. So they fell apart. The legs went down with the team. Ancelotti again tried to refresh it a little bit by making a couple of little changes around the middle, but the damage was done. City were like a juggernaut, and uh, they didn't even really need Haaland last night, which is ironic that they bought Haaland to win them the Champions League, but it was my favourite player in the world, Bernardo Silva, who uh, just put the, the dagger in the heart, you know? So, yeah, fair play to them. Look, I, I, as I said, I, I like to say I've seen it, seen it coming. I have seen it coming, but I've been waiting for someone to exploit this Madrid team finally, and they just ran out of legs. And I mean, listen, City were worthy winners. Dave, does that say something? Because as Neil said, they brought in the first game that he thought it, it was probably a positive that he brought on the younger players and that kind of kicked them on and kept them going in, in that first leg. But by the time he had brought them on in the second leg, the game was over. Is that saying something now about Modric? We're coming at the start of the season. He has all the energy coming to the end of the season. It's really starting to catch up with him. And it's the same with Tony Cruz and even you could say Benzema. Yeah, exactly. And I think Modric was gone even before the 60th minute hit. So that says everything. And I think Camavinga was put in. Look, it comes to them all and it's inevitable. And, you know, these guys, Modric is a bit of everything, but Cruz's main excellence is when they have the ball. And you could see it after 20 minutes. Who was the one? It's two yards, Gary. It was him. He was the one in no man's land for the Bernardo Silva goal. It was a very easy pass because Cruz didn't do the defensive job yeah. that he doesn't know what how to do. And that's how, that's a credit to Man City, by the way. Um, and he was the one who was caught out in no man's land. And of course, uh, it was a training shot then for Bernardo Silva. He just gave him the eyes and stuck it in the front post. But like Neil said, they just they just put the foot in the neck and never let go. It was impressive. I almost started to fade out of the game with 15, 20 minutes to go. I was thinking of things or seeing what was being said on social media because it was just a riot at that stage. Uh, there was a small worry for the two great saves by Courtois off Haaland at the start going, geez, they're not going to do it again. But yeah, once that yeah. one, the, the goal the goal came at the bang on the right time, 23 minutes, because if I had it gone a bit longer, I'm sure City might have tightened up a bit going, oh shit, we better be careful because Vinicius Jr. is going to get a counter-attacking shot here any minute. Mm. But once that first goal went in, everything, the confidence shot up, the others went down. And then there was just there was, and it's pretty easy to say to point the finger at the older guys. But yeah. apart from Courtois, no one else really stood up, did they? No, no. But in fairness, if you look at Man City, which is probably what I would rather do, they no one, no one coasted. They were bang at it, every single one of them. John Stones, even in the midfield, looked inspired. Will he do that consistently every week? Maybe not. But this is a semi final. They weren't going to yeah. let it go. So one to eleven. Nothing, everything they did was so right that Madrid couldn't give them an answer. Even it, it was like when City them. played Arsenal, wasn't it? With the way City yeah. just steamrolled them and up yeah. a level, but one to 11, they were absolutely yeah, like this. And they were sheets ahead. I don't know if you've seen the interview after the game with uh, with Grealish and Kyle Walker. If you ever wanted two views on how you're meant to be PR'd before you walk in front of the cameras, Grealish just comes out and says whatever the hell he wants. Whereas Walker was very much always oh, a tough game and they're tough professionals. But the one thing I took out of it was Walker did say, we wanted to see what they'd be like without Vinicius. So in other words, if I took Vinicius out of the game and that was my yeah. challenge, uh, he said, what else have they got? And it turns out they had nothing. 
absolutely yeah. nothing. Benzema looked a shadow of the player this time last year who kept popping up with these goals. And mm. um, Ballon d'Or winner. And yeah, I mean, yeah, I got to tip your hat to Walker, lads. He's had some dodgy times mm. over the years. But with that pace, he is absolutely, yeah. he's a phenomenal right forward. see him to, tracking back. In fairness to Benzema, it's a bit like Haaland in the first game. Like Real Madrid didn't have the ball to make him look effective in any way, shape, or form. I will give Benzema that fact. However, you could see him, he was trying to find different pockets, get the ball in different places because he wasn't yeah. getting it where he wanted it. So don't get me wrong, I wouldn't give him a get out of jail card either. But um, that was like, I think the forwards get a bit of a, a little bit of an easier hand because of the fact that a lot yeah. of their, they're the end product, so to speak. Dave, if they win the treble. <laughs> Who's better? Man United 99 or Man City 2023? Yeah. One half will say, of course, look at the points hall, look at this, look at the performances. Others will say, ah, it's a different year, it's this, that, and the other. Whose was the more enjoyable or was the more dramatic? There's no question it was Man United because you had the you had the prequel or the pre uh match where they got the two late goals against Liverpool in the early stage of the FA Cup that mental game that was Arsenal in the semi-final and then we all know what happened to Barcelona the league wasn't as dramatic but in terms of drama wins hands down it's it's too far a gap for me I could be smart and say one or I could be smart and say the other but it'll never stop let's be honest and then of course the fact that they're two two neighbours it'll be relentless there'll be millions of facts for one millions of facts for the other but for me City's arguably is more impressive in the terms of the sheer dominance however United had a serious rival in Arsenal at the time and there were some epic matches that are more memorable than say what's happening this year now don't get me wrong City's performance last night was pretty special but yeah in terms of drama so can you hear the splinters on my arms from sitting on the fence here (laughs) I'm doing a good job of it so yeah move on I I think listen I think you're bang on I think to do it at all at any stage it's just it'll be an amazing feat see you haven't done it yet but the likelihood is I mean you look at the the Inter Milan team Neil let's put it this way first of all they're playing Man United in the in the FA Cup it's a derby you don't know what's going to happen there you would still have City favourites obviously uh, but anything could happen there Inter play a completely different style to what they've been playing and they'd be a bit more dogged uh, and a little bit fresher I think than Real Madrid so again City favourites but it's not a team that you're thinking right City could walk all over because I just think they'd be a little bit more taught defensively than there was with Real Madrid Yeah I think look there's no doubt about it Inter are going to set up to frustrate they're going to set up and they were very good by the way when AC kept coming onto them as in they seemed to deal with it at an arm's length quite comfortably and that was a cauldron that game as well being the local derby so I mean, Inter aren't fools, but at the same time, you're looking at what City did last night. If they can any way or near replicate that type of performance, you do fear the worst. Um, But then again, strange things do happen in finals. Players don't always play to their ability. Um, And again, City have two huge finals coming up now. And listen, they could slip up in one of them. It wouldn't be, you know, you could be looking back after the game going, ah, sure, that was always bound to happen. But in any game, if it's Inter, they got to score first. They've got to score, you know, set piece, corner, something that will just get them their foot in the door. Because if they sit back and they invite that City team onto them, they're in humongous trouble. They really are. I'd rate... Man United's chances of upsetting the treble higher than Inter at the moment. I don't think I have that feeling in my stomach that 
there'll be an upset against Inter. But I think United will be dogged because let's be honest, they don't won't want them to achieve that treble because it's a little bit too close to home, isn't it? Yeah, I think I don't. just before uh, you come in there, Roy, just to kind of jump in for a split second, I think I think it's only it's it's cities to lose. To be honest, in my opinion, I think it's in the short version. But at the same time, you know, just have a chat with Wigan from ten years ago. You know, mm, it can yeah. happen, uh, and Wigan are, won't lace into Milan's or United's boots, and it can happen. Um, but uh, the the irony the irony is it's all about Arsenal and Bottle, but. If you, if you say you were to lose both of these, I think there's only one bottler this year. Big if. Let's, let's, if they were to let's, lose both. Yeah, yeah. So Arsenal fans are preying on David's <laughs> word here that this can be completed. <laughs> okay, let's go, praying, let's go on to Arsenal. Let's go on to Arsenal, Neil. Um, listen, are they bottlers? Are they not bottlers? Is this not just, when you look at Arsenal and how it's gone, is this not just what seems to happen to teams who are on that, upward curvature and they just miss out on a season beforehand and it's a learning curve yeah I mean look we, we've said it many many times right in order to win a Premier League you always feel there's a kind of a right of passage other than Leicester Leicester were just a freak and that's why they never got back near it again but there's a right of passage you kind of have to follow and it's you become almost challengers then you become challengers and then it's kind of like right they're capable of winning it now now they don't always win it and i mean liverpool proved that with a couple of 96 points that you don't always win it even when you're neck and neck so there are fine margins but for arsenal you know to, for them if you look back a year there was no way you were even contemplating that they were going to get out ahead of everyone the way they did and then would they be able to match city so maybe an unfair an unfair comparison but there was a period at the Christmas period where Arsenal were absolutely honest. They were playing superb football. If standout games for me, they played Spurs and in a local uh, London derby and massacred them. The Newcastle away uh, game, they were fantastic. They've had some big performances, Arsenal, where you kind of go, wow, are they actually going to do it? Now, at the end of the day, they were, what, eight, nine points ahead, games in hand, whatever it was. And you kind of, that's where, you know, you want to come up with the bottlers. It is a little bit tongue in cheek, but they were ahead on the run in. They were looking good. And it's kind of the way they capitulated with that series of draws when they were ahead in every game. Even if I wasn't to say they were bottlers, them players themselves, like they would have been going into the dressing room after every game. Remember Arteta was giving it the big one after the games, the big celebrations, telling each other, come on, lads, 12 games, 10 games, eight games. You know, you would be doing that. And I guarantee you them players themselves feel balls were after really blowing this opportunity. And I don't, regardless of what we think, they must feel it inside that that opportunity is something they never thought they'd have, but that they didn't make the most of. Do you not think, though, Neil, that they overachieved? That from where they came from to where they were, they didn't have to change too much. They're, they were building, all right, but they just took advantage of, of a lot of other poor form from other teams and probably overachieved pushing City the way they did because they just took their opportunity. But really, top four was always going to be the, the goal for Arsenal. I yes. just think they overachieved. I think they were doing That's... a little bit of a Leicester and just couldn't complete it. Yeah, but that's exactly it. And I mean, look, if you look at it in September or you look at it in January, February, you know, the, the world's a different place in the Premier League. You know, sometimes you think, look at Leicester, one minute you're 
competing for top four the next minute you're competing in relegation so but for Arsenal to have that chance and I think you're right I think they were opportunistic they were the only form side and funnily enough City nearly left it a little bit too late like think of the margins by City beating Arsenal in the in the home leg that's what blew it all open completely but City genuinely nearly left it too late and I think Pep said about maybe three weeks ago now we're playing at the level we needed to be at instead of allowing Arsenal to build up the lead that they did because he was struggling to get them up to that level and do it consistently so they nearly snuck under the radar and did a Leicester where there was just too much even for City to do but they left the door open and then obviously did a couple of I think the big one for me Roy is the three results in a row where they were ahead and then they dropped points. That's the one that sticks out where you kind of feel, oh man, even one of them results that have gone your way or you'd have seen it through from a winning position of two goals, you'd feel a little bit more comfortable about it, but you feel they blew it in the end. But I'd agree with you. Listen, for Arsenal to finish runner-up um, with the amount of points that they have this year, with the experience they got with the young players, and I think he really knows his 11 now, his best 11 and now the question is, can he one-up that now? Can he, you know, refresh it and go again? Dave, these Arsenal bottlers, what do they need next year? <laughs> <laughs> Who will they go for? Because there's a lot of yeah. there's a lot of players out there that are getting linked to now. Not really who will they go for? Who do they need? Yeah, well, I think midfield's going to be one of them because it looks like Granite Jack is obviously finishing up and he's going to move on. There's rumours of Bayer Leverkusen, so I would imagine they'll go in there. So they're Maybe. talking Declan Rice. This yeah, is what exactly. the rumour is. Is that someone who they should look for? Uh, yeah, I'd why not? Uh, like he's a, I think he's good enough for them, that's for sure. And I think he's a potential in-betweener because with Odegaard, he's kind of very much isolated as his own as the creative one. And then they have Party and Xhaka. So he could be that guy who makes that three a little bit more flexible that they can have two to help with the attack and then two to help with the defence while the two guys who are very structured are trying to protect that from the front four. Um, so it might give Odegaard a little bit more breathing space to really do what he does best because he seems to be the, the main catalyst. So that would be an interesting one or, the, or, or a player of that similar ilk. Um, but obviously, if that if they're being rumoured to be going after him, it just goes to show you they are willing to to open up the wallet a little bit more and loosen up the poor string. So it could be a very interesting year. There's rumours of Joel Cancelo, uh, which I presume will mean he'll probably go out at right back and then obviously have Zajenko left back mm. because it looks like Cancelo's time is done. And he's originally a right back anyway, and they've had a few issues there on that side. So uh, he could come in maybe centre half if you're being picky with the one or two injuries they had because look at the difference when Saliba went out at the end of the year. He was a big hole. Front three, do you maybe have a, a, another option because they looked a bit weaker when Jesus was gone? I know Enketia did the best he could. So there's still options to really bring Arsenal to another level. So it's quite obvious they're not the finished article. And some of what you're saying is, is potentially true that they have had an exceptional season, more so than, than Bottle. Neil, any names you want to throw at us for Arsenal? Who do you think could help yeah. them out? I'm going to be a little bit cynical here and I'm going to say, first and foremost, get rid of Hayes. Not get rid of Jesus. Have him as a backup. I don't think he scores enough. I think he's brilliant at holding the ball up and his work ethic, second to none. Uh, if you're going to go big, go Victor Osimhen uh, off Napoli. There's someone's going to buy him sooner or later. United need a guy like that. Chelsea need a guy like that. And Arsenal, I think, need a guy like that. And man, what a signing he would be because he is he's physically... A beast. He reminds me of like a smaller version of Drogba, but he's that type of guy. But he will get goals. Um, and in the midfield, if they're going to get rid of Jack, I was thinking Moses Casado. Yeah. Um, I'm a massive fan of his. Ma if, if Liverpool, I know they're saying today Liverpool might have got um, 
McAllister off Brighton. I would have been going for Casado. He looks like a beast. He, he's young. He's fit. He can play multiple positions, but he just looks like he's a guy that's going to explode on the scenes in the next year or two. Um, and that would be for me. And then if I, I was going to say, sorry, Cancelo, yes, a, a better right back. I don't think Ben Day or not Ben Davies, um, Ben White is really suited to the right back. You get away with it and he's had a good season, but I think there's an upgrade in that as a better attacking fullback. Uh, even the likes of Dumfries who played the other night looked really good yeah. as a right back slash right wing back, maybe. I just looked at the Brighton starting eleven for tonight. A lot of their expensive assets were on the bench today, which is a bit interesting, and hence uh, uh, Newcastle's four-one victory. Oh, so uh, yeah, not a lot of the big guys are playing tonight. I wonder why are they afraid they might get injured? So Very a lot of what they might, so, same might be true. Yeah, strange though, isn't it? You think you're going for a European spot that should be doing something like that? Yeah. So. Uh, maybe they think they make more money out of this than they would in Europe that's quite possibly true I suppose okay just before we go on to the last bit which is the VAR just on the AC Milan Inter Milan game the other night Dave Raphael Leo he's someone who is taking people some people love him some people aren't sure about him I just see inconsistency in him what do you see? yeah that's exactly it there's a bit of a and a, like early Nunes vibe of him, if you know what I mean. There's a flash of, oh, I like that. And then there's a flash of, oh, Christ. So which one is he going to be? Obviously, his chance where he just put it past the post a couple of yards out from goal, at least hit the target, for God's sake. That goes in, that game changes dramatically, and it could be a different scenario. When you're about, what, it was not even five or six yards out and he didn't even hit the target. I know sometimes you're trying to really just get it inside the post, but sometimes like that, you just put it right under, you get your foot right behind it and get it under the roof or something. But yeah, no, the, the bits and pieces I've seen, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert on him. Yeah, he has that flash of brilliance and then he flusses lines almost two minutes later. And where is he going to go? I haven't seen enough to be more what that way or the other. But yeah, no, um, he'd be a big gamble for me if anyone was interested. Yeah, I think so too. When you look at the two Milan teams, Neil, would you like to nab anyone from them? Uh, do you know, I was watching Teo Hernandez play the other night and I'm kind of curious why he's not, I don't want to say a bigger club than AC Milan, mm. but you're kind of looking at him and thinking, you know, the Italian league is kind of the graveyard of the Premier League when you kind of don't quite make it out. You look at all the names, yeah. you know them all, Mkhitaryan uh, was there. Um, what's his name, Darmian and all these guys all of a sudden come up and they're players. But Teo Hernandez is one that kind of stuck out in my mind. You think French international, you know, he's got grey hair and all the rest. Like, why does so, no one come in from? But as a left back and an attacking left back, he can play wing back. He looks dangerous. He looks good. He's a kind of like a leader. Um, but you'd wonder what his price tag would be maybe. But um, himself and then obviously Rafael Leo is a gamble. You would imagine will someone pull the trigger and, and have a look at him. But didn't get to see enough of them the other night because be it their star player, they didn't seem to be able to kind of give him enough service to see what he was made of. His highlight reel, as David said, there is off the charts what he can do. But as you say, he I think he's, any of them type of players are still a gamble. You never know what kind of price tag he'd come on. Yeah. Okay, listen, we're going to finish with, uh, we'll start with you, Neil, on it because you've seen, I didn't see it on Monday night, but VAR was brilliant in your opinion. Uh, they... They had the mic'd up the referees. Tell us about it. Yeah, so the the big one was, uh, if you remember, the Arsenal versus Newcastle game, and there was a shot at the Arsenal goal, and I think it was Kiwi or it, it kind of it looked like handball. Everyone was calling handball. So Howard Webb is obviously on the um, 
the Monday Night Football and he said, look, we're going to give you some of the insight into what's going on here. And you could hear the guys in the studio, or sorry, in the uh, the PGMOL, you could hear the pitch side, you could hear the referee and you could hear all the madness that was going on around it. But in the build up to it, the corner come in and then it kind of got set back at the time. But it was the little things you could hear, check that he's off. He looks good. He looks good. That hit the arm. Double check that. And then they were just running through the motions of, okay, we need to figure out what happened here. And then one of them goes, yep, yeah, looks like it's a tie. Don't think it's an arm. Showed a different angle. Showed a different angle. And it was like, yeah, definitely an arm. The other guy goes then. He's pulling his arm away. In other words, it wasn't in a natural position. But there was so many lovely little pieces of information to the referee within like 20 seconds. I can't seconds. believe you fell for this deal. Unbelievable. <laughs> they've shown you the, the clip that they've got it right. Did they show you the clips that they got it wrong? Well, funnily enough, they did. They showed one oh, where they? hand went at the end and he goes, uh, which was, it was the offside one. Um, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Linton running through and the linesman went, uh, he's off, I'm playing on, I'm playing on, I'm playing on, I'm playing on. In other words, keep going, keep going, keep going. Joe Linton puts the ball in the net and then it goes back to the thing. Now, here was my criticism. I've seen right. that one now, but go on. The criticism of this to me was, right, they put the crosshair on uh, the nearest defender. So they were like, oh, choose it off number 24, put the crosshair on him. And they put this little line on your man's shoulder and then one of them guy was, not one to the left, one to the left or one to the right, whatever it was, to line it up. Yeah. And to me, it felt like you know, do you ever get down to your dad and you try to teach him how to use the TV and it's a smart TV and he doesn't know how to use, move the mouse? It felt like that, that they should be zooming in on this or AI yeah. surely can do this for you. I always am curious over the point A where the ball is struck and point B then where they're measuring it off. And it seemed like, you know, someone was steering him through where to put the crosshair. And then obviously they went to Joe Linton. But in the beginning, he looked a mile off. The, the linesman looked bang on. Then he turned off. I mean, it was a pixel in the difference that made him onside. And then at the very end, you're saying there, because they did make a mistake, the linesman, when they went, yep, yeah, please award the goal, please award the goal. It was the linesman just piped in and went, yep, yeah, sorry about that, guys. So he did yeah. apologize at the end. So again, you've fallen for it because they didn't make a mistake. <laughs> VAR triumphed again. And it was the linesman who got it in the neck. How many times has VAR got it wrong? The people upstairs got it wrong, and I bet you they didn't show any of them. Dave, this is bullshit, isn't it? I feel like I have to say yes. (laughs) Yeah, we're, 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 uh, what's that word? We're very impartial here. We're we're allowed to have our own opinions, but I feel like I better say, yeah, you're right. Um, Yeah, look, uh, to be honest, you are being impartial, Roy, because they are very clever clips. However, the one little comment I will say about the handball one, it did sound incredibly slick and it sounded incredibly like what you've heard other sports. And then obviously I read a bit more on Tuesday and apparently they have one of the highly respected rugby league um, kind of referees in at the moment to help them script how they talk to each other to get the answers quick enough. And it felt like this is one of the first games where they've used them. It just sounded a bit like, oh, is that how they always sound? Now, I, think, that's what I, though, said. I think what this is, though, what you're getting from it is you would like to hear this all the time. Oh, 100%. And you're impressed from what they said. Yeah. But what I'm saying is I would love to hear it all the time, especially yeah. when they make a, a hames of it. 
Absolutely. But the other side of it, sorry, the flip side of it is right, is, and this is what I was thinking while watching it, the amount of information that he got in 30 seconds was actually astounding. The amount of different views, angles, all that good stuff. And then you're thinking to yourself, with all of that great information, with the AIs that are on it, with the feedback as quick as it was, and then the replays, then you think, how in the love of God did he make a balls of yeah. some of the ones where you go, yeah, how are you giving exactly. a handball? How are you giving a penalty? How are you giving whatever? The offsides, I think, and that I think we can generally agree, they generally look like they get it right. It's very mm. rare you think they haven't. Yeah. It's the little ones around the box that are human error based on my opinion is that's a penalty. Your opinion is that is not. That, it's that, imperative that, though, Neil, yeah. isn't it, that they bring it in? Was there any talk about them bringing that in? Yeah, they're not allowed. Why? Simple as that. Uh, Webb said it wasn't part of something about the, um, oh, what did he say? It, it's too conjective at the time to have it available readily as in live. Um, and then they didn't want the referees under the cosh where every little thing they said um, on the thing was being scrutinized. So this I think the they said it now. was impossible. This, it's almost like it was. And the other thing, by the way, just to, to follow on from it, is that, do you know the way they used to say, oh, they should be getting ex-pros to do it? That's another thing he literally just poured cold water over. It can only be professional referees that will ever be VAR. It will never be ex-pros. And that's fine. Do you know, I, I'm not a problem with yeah. that. But that that sounds like... Uh, that sounds like the Irish government when they used to tell us, well, no, we can't change that because that's written into law. That's the way it is. We can't change this. And then a year later, they've changed it themselves just for the crack, you know. So it yeah. sounds like that's just an excuse to me. Yeah, that smacks of uh, the usual crack that we've talked about sometimes where people label them arrogant and stuff like that because they try to think they're something different. And God forbid they do something that other codes do even though they brought in the rugby league guy. Look, we hear the rugby rugby union one, and sometimes uh, decisions are inconclusive, so they just go with the original decision. If it's wrong, mm. it's wrong. But tough tits, when we hear it, we respect it because he's like, I think I gave it a try, but I'm not sure about the grounding. They go to, I can't see it, or whatever it may be. They have to go with the original Like, uh, it's just typical football. They give you a little crumb. Like, it's one step forward, but three steps back. Like, you know... I think most people would generally accept everything that they do because at least you'll understand the decision that they made, even if you don't agree with it, but at least you see where it's coming from. It just smacks again of, you know, why why do that on Monday if you're not going to be able to bring it in more often? Yeah. Isn't it amazing, though, when they brought in VAR, we thought, you know, it was going to ruin the little moments in the game of football where you kind of went, oh, you think that it is, I think it. it's not. And it's actually, you know, whether it's any better or any worse, but there's still a whole load of conjecture around certain decisions that they can't get right, even though they have the the luxury just, of four replays and five It's just activities. controversy dressed up in a different way. That's yeah, all yeah. it is, isn't it? Or they you just know, don't just... have faith in the rules to be able to follow them because maybe some well, of them are subjective like the handball. But they've made, it, it. they've made it that way, Dave. They've actually yeah. made it worse. As I said, go back to the Liverpool Spurs uh, Champions League. Just yeah. before that, that year, they brought in rules that didn't need to be brought in. It was, it's either deliberate or not deliberate. The referee decided, generally the referee got it right. There was never yeah. a controversy yeah. about it. There was, oh, I don't think he did. And then the penalty was given and no one really talked about it then too much afterwards. Now it's just blown out of all proportion because they decided to make a rule that didn't really need to be there in the first place. So, yeah. uh, boo to Howard Webb. Okay, the only right, thing listen. is, right, the only thing is, right, the, the managers, i.e. Jurgen Klopp, ironically enough, is getting a two-game ban for what he did the other the other week. Um, yeah. At least they can be gl glad now because then we won't hear the abuse that they level at the fourth divisions and everyone else for that matter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'd say that's way worse. 
Actually, the, some of that was on the tape as well, right? I think it was Zinchenko was walking back with um, on that particular Arsenal case. Zinchenko was in the ref's ear and you could hear the referee going, will you back away? I won't tell you again. Because <laughs> Zinchenko was thinking, I'm going to change his mind here. And yeah. I mean, there's no chance of that when you hear what's going on in the ring. I, I, I can only see positives in it. I, don't, I can't see where the negatives are in that. What Howard Webb is saying is, we don't want to have that out there because it's going to put more pressure on us. That's as simple massively. as that. So. It highlights okay. their mistakes massively. We're going we're gonna to leave that there. Neil, Dave, thanks very much. Thanks very much for you for listening. If you hate VAR as much as we do, <laughs> uh, do let us know. Thanks Fine very much. And see you next week. <laughs>